Welcome to Tartan Talk with USA Kilts, our interview series where we chat with interesting people in the Celtic heritage scene, industry insiders, artists, influencers, you name it. Come with us as we highlight unique perspectives and inside stories. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the conversation. Sean, thank you for coming out today. I know you've traveled a long way to be here. So for those of our uh, viewers who haven't seen you before, give me your 30-second origin story, comic book number one. Sure thing. Well, first of all, great to be here. Thank you for inviting us out here. My name is Sean, like you said. I am from Edinburgh in Scotland, Scotland's capital city. And yeah, I guess ever since from a really young age, I've been telling stories, either as a journalist, writing stories, and then eventually evolving that into video making. So today I have a YouTube channel in which I talk a lot about my travels and that kind of morphed really specifically into travels around the United States. And that started in 2017 when I was invited by the United States Embassy to London on a kind of like an exchange mission right. where they took a bunch of us out here and, and showed us a lot of things that we weren't kind of used to. And I kind of really got interested from that trip and have expanded since then and I've traveled to a lot of different places, which has been great fun. So yeah, I guess my content on YouTube now is focused on traveling around the United States and meeting a lot of different people like yourself. Right. What was the aha moment for you um, that started the vlogging career? Yeah, I guess so. Probably back in 2014, um, my wife's from Brazil and we were actually out visiting her family and we were staying there for an extended period of time. I think it was like four months or something. And I, I guess, you know, I was writing as a, a freelance journalist at the time, so I used to write. And, and I realized back then, you know, it wasn't early days of video on the internet, but it was certainly much earlier than it is, is now, right? And I did know that a lot of people were telling really good stories through video on YouTube. And I started watching a couple of YouTubers that I really enjoyed. And I kind of figured that actually I could transform the way I tell stories into this kind of video format. And because I was out in Brazil, which is a really kind of different place for a lot of people in the UK, I thought, <laughs> yeah. right, let, let's tell the story about why I'm there and what I'm doing and all right. the different things that I find out. So that was that was a kind of the spark, if you like, telling, telling the story of what I was doing in Brazil, how it's different to the place that I come from. Right. Was there a, like was there a reception to it that kind of like clicked like oh people like hearing this kind of stuff or how did that work? It took a long time to build to be honest, but um, <coughs> eventually there was a, a group of people that kind of tuned into it and thought yeah this is good fun. It's good to see other people's perspectives on a different place, uh, and actually quite a lot of Brazilian people tuned in because they enjoyed seeing a person kind of explore in their country as well, which it kind of feeds into what I'm doing now, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people from here in the states, and that's largely where the people who watch my videos are from, enjoy the fact that. And visit in their state or visit in their town. Right. Neat. So tell me about your why. Why do you do what you do? Yeah, so I guess um, there's probably two or three reasons to that. I, I've always enjoyed telling stories, like I said, from a very early age uh, as a journalist when I started out in, in my career, if you like. It's something I've always liked to do. Tell stories and find interesting things and take that out to a kind of audience. Uh, and, it, and that kind of transforms into different forms and for different mediums, right? It's something I've always been passionate about is telling stories. Nice. I think that's a very Scottish thing. We've always had good Scottish storytellers, even you know way back to like Robbie Burns, for example. He's basically a storyteller. We've just kind of evolved the the formats in which we do that, and so that that's the main thing. Second of all, I love meeting people and learning about new cultures and and learning about new things, and so this really brings that together for me. So what's the what's the big picture for you? What's the big picture for the channel? Where do you want to take it? Yeah, so I think over the last probably two or three years. Certainly since 2017, but I would say even more so in the last few years, uh, really focusing it on this connection between 
me being a Scottish person, coming here and meeting people who might relate to Scotland in some ways, and there's a lot of people here, as you well know, <laughs> who have that feeling, right? You know, either through ancestry or through falling in love with Scotland through shows like Outlander. And so you're meeting those people who have actually, a lot of them come to Scotland and visit. Coming here and, and learning more about them and their life has been really fascinating for me. So really focusing in on that and also doing a bit of fun travel and, you know, experiencing different things here that might be quite unique for me, uh, like foods and... Uh, you know, the types of places that you might go shopping, basic things, for example, really focusing on all those differences. And f so for now, for, certainly for the near future, that's where I see myself focusing on. What does your family think of what you do? Yeah, I guess that they have always been quite supportive. Um, you know, back in the early days when I started writing as a, as a journalist, for example, um, they always thought it was kind of weird that I fell into that because I never, I never went to university or college and studied that. It was just something I did naturally right. uh, and really enjoyed. And so they, they thought it was quite cool that I had this, this kind of inclination, you could say. Uh, and so for me to evolve that into YouTube, you know, I guess there was probably a lot of skepticism to say, oh, that's never going to work or, you know, but um, I've always managed to kind of find my way and, you know, make actually, one of the things I would say is it's almost like making a hobby pay or mm -hmm. making a hobby pay for itself. Yeah, yeah. Like my hobby is traveling and meeting people and, and you know, all these things are really expensive. And if you can do something actually doing YouTube, it helps cover the cost of that as well. As well as the fact you're telling stories to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people sometimes. I think putting all those things together, people are quite supportive in the end. Nice. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you some travel-related questions. Yeah. So, out of all the places you've been in, uh, in uh, the U.S., why is Philadelphia your favorite? <laughs> now, what's your favorite place you've been in the U.S. so far? Um, that's a really tough one. I've got two favorite places, and they're very different from each other, right? I'd say, first of all, I've always had a soft spot for New York City. I love the place. I think it's amazing. The energy there is unlike anywhere I've ever been in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, that's very much big city talking, right? I like both big cities and I like rural parts equally, right? Um, and, and so more of, and it's also a city as well, right? So New Orleans, I would say, is probably my second favorite. I think the culture there is just so unique and different. The food is incredible. Um, and the history of the place is really interesting as well. So I'd say definitely those two places I've really, really enjoyed visiting. Um, in New York, I've been back time and time again, just because, I, like I said, I really love the place. Um, and I think when we were in New, or New Orleans, I kind of saw a side to the States that I'd never experienced anywhere else before. Like I said, it's very unique. Yeah, yeah. It's a different culture in and of itself. Yeah. So give me a bit about your, your process in getting ready to travel. How do you decide where you're going to go and how do you plan out the trip? So sometimes it can be really last minute and spread it. Like I've literally been to places before where, you know, two or three days before I hadn't planned to travel anywhere and then some kind of deal came up. And I was like, right. oh, that could be interesting. So I'm, I'm quite a spontaneous person that way. But otherwise, in terms of some of the other trips I've done here in the States, for example, it might have been for an, a, a specific event. So, you know, I went to North Carolina because there was, a, there was an event all around Outlander there and people had invited me, you know, like a year before. No, no, and that's something I always wanted to do. Um, and, and so there's been a number of those type of things. And then there's a bit of kind of bucket list places that I've always wanted to do, right? So... I think one of them was to do the West Coast, drive all the way down, and we drove from Seattle all the way down to Los Angeles. Um, and that's something that's always kind of been like a, a dream experience that I wanted to do, right? And right. I think that that's probably a major motivation is ticking off those, those bucket lists. And there's quite a lot more to go. <laughs> there are 50 states. Yes. So what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you while you've been on one of your treks? Yeah, if I had some really, really great, unique experiences, you know, I think... Everything from the fact that um, we have been out traveling places and someone's recognized us, you know, in really obscure places like you would never imagine. And that's, that's always good. I really love meeting people who watch my show. 
I think more recently something that happened that was cool, you know, we were traveling through Houston airport and the, one of the guys who's on the immigration service who kind of stamps your passport as you're going in and out, right. he recognized me. He was very straight faced, you know, he stamped my passport and he was like, hey, I watch your videos. And that was it. And I was just like, wow, of all the places. Um, but, you know, we've had that, you know, in a number of different places. It's always really, really special and unique when I get to meet people like that um, from different backgrounds and they come up and say hello. Um, I think in general, whenever I'm in a place and I've kind of done like a meet and greet, I've put it out there to the internet that I'm going to do a meet and greet on a certain time and place. And then dozens of people show up. That's always really special for me. Yeah. So if money were no object, where would you want to live in the entire world? What kind of house would you want to live in? That is a tough question because there's lots of places I've been and think I would like to live here. You know, basically everywhere I go, I think I could live here. Yeah. Um, I guess two different types of places. One of that would be like a, a big house on a beach, somewhere with a beach. Uh, I think a few months ago we were in um, Florida in the Keys. I was like, I could live here. Yeah. Uh, I could definitely have a big house here on, on, on the beach and have a boat and go fishing all the time or whatever. That definitely appeals to me. And then again, because I said, you know, I love New York City, if I could have a really great apartment in Manhattan, that would be, that would be awesome. I might not want to live there forever, but to experience that, living there for, you know, two or three years, I think that would be really, really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember your, the first time that you were, uh, somebody recognized you? I was like, oh, hey, are you that guy from YouTube? What was that like the first time it happened? Do you remember that? Yeah, I probably don't remember the very first time it happened, but definitely in the first kind of year when it started happening. I actually think we were in Brazil and we were at a concert. Um, it would have been Arcade Fire, the band from Canada, in Brazil. And we were kind of getting our tickets to go in and somebody recognized me there. And I was like, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Um, and that's when I realized actually, you know, when you put videos on the internet and, you know, it might be 10 people, it might be 100 people watching, those are all people. Um, and it reaches a, a greater distance than you, you could imagine. There's people from all around the world watching, right? And when that happened, it just made me feel like, you know, this is worth it. I should keep going. Um, I can obviously have a good connection with people and I really enjoy that. Uh, and it doesn't matter the fact that you don't always get to see them face to face. They are out there and you all get to meet them. And that's, you know, it made me feel great. And I thought it was a bit more inspiration and motivation to keep going. Right on. Now, you are, you fancy yourself a little bit of a foodie. Hmm. What is some, what is the weirdest, most obscure food you've had in, in America? In America, I had, and I didn't like it, I had sea urchin, uh, raw sea urchin uh, from a market, fish market. I can't remember exactly where it was, but I did not enjoy it. It wasn't good. I wouldn't like it either. It was like bitter. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, not good. It's like eating brains. <laughs> Have you had brains? No, but I can imagine that's what eating brains would be like. <laughs> so Hannibal Lecter, yeah. my next question. <laughs> um, so what did you think of the cheesesteak as a, as a regional food? Yeah, I, I think they're fantastic. You know, how can you go wrong with good steak, good meat on a bit of good bread and cheese, right? Uh, what I find really fascinating is how different they are because I've had four or five different ones now right. since arriving, which is probably not a good thing, right? We're going to die when we go back, right? But they're all so different from each other. And yeah. They're all the basic same three ingredients. And how do you make those things be so different? Yeah, it's um, kind of like pizza. It's, yeah. You can have very, very varying degrees of you know, ingredients in pizza as well. Definitely. You know, it's basically just cheese, sauce, and bread. Yeah. yeah. But they're really good. I enjoyed it. And you know, we've still got more time, so there's probably time to fit another one in. Yeah. Delisandro's. Delisandro's. That's the last one you got to hit on the way back. Yeah, we'll I think that's going to be your, your, the crowning jewel of <laughs> the cheesesteak glory. We'll put them all together in a kind of review and we'll let you know a ranking. Fair. Oh, you should have, 
There's a there's another Philly thing on on South Street now. Jim's is one cheesesteak place we're going to go to. Yeah. It burned down, mm. but a very very chill Philly thing is they have a uh, the Philly taco, which is you get this oversized slice of pizza and then you put a cheesesteak in it and you eat it together. Wow. Yes. I mean that sounds very Scottish. <laughs> that's something we would do. But that you know that, that's, that's amazing. I would love that. So you've been wearing your kilt for this entire trip. How have the reactions been? Anything that surprised you or not surprised you? Yeah, I guess I have, I've had, I've worn a kilt in a few different places in the States. New York was one, I got a few reactions there at that time. This trip, um, it's been a little bit quieter to be honest. I've had a couple of reactions from people um, in DC when we were there the other day. Um, a couple yeah. of the Flyers game last night. A couple of the Flyers game as well. And people yeah. are very positive about it, generally speaking. I think sometimes people don't know what it is and what it's about, but mostly, certainly those who know about Scottish culture and the Celts, they, they're very positive and they want to know more. They want to stop you and have a conversation and, and learn about it and you know learn about where you're from and all the rest of it. Um, and I think that's really cool. It's a good conversation starter. Uh, it's a good way to spread your kind of own culture and history and all the rest of it. Uh, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm from Scotland. I'm here and like, come and say hi. And that's cool. You know, like I said, I love meeting people and that's, that's a good way in. Yeah, the, the old phrase, the uh, uh, kilts are worn by Scots in America and Americans in Scotland. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So in interacting with Americans, what are some of the uh, the things that they ask you as soon as they hear that accent? Yeah. Do they like, oh, you're Scottish. What's the next thing out of their mouth? Do they ask you questions? Do they want to tell you stories? Yeah, I, I guess going back from that, there's two things that happen. Either people say I'm Scottish and they know exactly where I'm from, or they think I'm Australian. There's no in-between. <laughs> there's no in-between. It's either Australian or Scottish, but uh, the ones who know I'm from Scotland, they're, they're really, f usually can tell me a story of their own, like either they've been there or they have, you know, some kind of family ancestry, which is great. And then they'll say, like I said, usually, oh, I was back, I was there back in 2010 or something like that. And I you know, had a great time in Edinburgh and the Highlands. And that's always really good to hear. I love the fact that people come over to Scotland, which is a really small country, probably smaller than the state of Philadelphia. Uh, in the city, uh, <laughs> state of Pennsylvania. Pro probably smaller than the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and for me, knowing that people, you know, have traveled around the world, hundreds of thousands of miles, um, thousands of miles sometimes to come and visit Scotland, it, it really makes me, it feels good. And I want to make sure everyone who's done that's had a good time. So to hear that from people, that they have had a good time, they've enjoyed it and they want to come back is always is special. Um, but yeah, definitely people will say to me, oh, you're from Scotland. I, I have either been there, I watch Outlander, or my family's from there. Nice. Um, what are some of the, now, speaking of tourism, I'm going to flip it on its head. Yeah. Um, when tourists go to Scotland, whether Americans, Canadians, Germans, whatever, um, what are some of what are what is your personal bugaboo? What's the thing that you're just like? Oh, I hate when people do that when they go over there. Um, I, I'm quite an easygoing person with this. Okay. I, I know there's a lot of Scottish people who might sometimes see it differently, but um, I generally feel as long as people are not um, causing any kind of trouble, they're not making a mess. They're not um, disturbing any of the locals or whatever. I generally feel it's a place where you can come and do what you want and be who you want to be. Scotland's quite an open and friendly place. And generally speaking, you can come here and have fun. You can you can wear a kilt or you can not whatever you whatever you fancy. And, and it's a place where I am proud of the fact that people can come and, and be who they are and have fun and, and not really follow the rules all the time because you know life's too boring to to, to follow rules all the time. As long, like I said, as long as nobody's getting hurt. And nobody's upsetting anyone. I'm very easygoing in that way. And you know, I've had heated discussions with actual Scottish people before about this. When <clears throat> someone will say, Oh, I hate when people come here and do this or that. And I'm like, well, listen, they're just on holiday, they want to enjoy themselves. They're not they're not necessarily trying to 
um, cause offence or anything. They're just they're just here to explore and have fun. And the same way that I'm here, and I'd like to think people would give me the benefit of the doubt when I get things wrong, and I do all the time. Yeah, absolutely. There, there. We definitely have that same thing where it's I try to be you know, a good ambassador of America when I'm in Scotland and kind to visitors when they're here in America as well. It's that's one commonality I think that many countries, not just Scotland and America, have across yeah, the world. Definitely. And I will say as well, as a Scottish person here, one of my favourite things is how, even if not talking about the Celts or Scottishness or whatever, people are just always so positive and warm and friendly towards me. And, and that's one of the things that's really got me coming back every time. Right. So uh, what is what is your secret? You know, you don't tell anyone, but we're going to tell everybody out, out there. Um, what is your Favorite place that all Americans who go to Scotland must see non-touristy? Non-touristy. That is a really tough question because, like I said, Scotland's a very small place. <laughs> and I almost feel like there is hardly an inch of the place that hasn't been explored by tourists. Fair. Like, like I said, you can drive from the border in the south with England to the very far north in about four hours, right? Maybe five. That you know, It's a small country. Um, a place that I went a few years ago with my wife and we both thought, well, this is really cool and different, was the Orkney Islands. Now, I think people, when they come to Scotland, might not always spend the time in going to there. Now, they get a lot of tourists up there as well, right? Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people won't go there just because it's out of the way and you need to get a ferry to get there. But what's really different about the Orkney Islands is they've got a really unique kind of Viking history. And so that's, it makes it slightly different from the rest of Scotland in that, in that sense. Uh, and to learn about that and to go there was really, really special. I loved it there, and I would recommend everyone to, to go and visit. Um, nice. But in terms of a place where tourists don't go, somewhere that locals would know and tourists don't, I don't think that exists anymore. And Scotland's just too small. And um, If I had one tip, actually, this might be a bit left field. Glasgow is not the pretty city of Scotland. Right? Edinburgh, where I'm from, is a good-looking city with lots of history, and people love to come to Edinburgh because of that. But actually, and this is something a lot of people from Edinburgh don't like to admit, Glasgow is a place where everything happens. In Scotland, it's got a lot of culture, yeah. underground culture, and if you're someone who likes nightlife or if you like music, live music, Glasgow's a place to go. That's where you'll get actually, as well as like rock and roll, you'll also find Highland culture as well and Highland music. It's got a great live music scene, and you can go to any pub, apart from probably some of the football ones, but you can almost go into any other pub and have a great night. And Glaswegians will say a funeral in Glasgow is more fun than a wedding in Edinburgh, and it's actually true. <laughs> I, I kind of absolutely love that. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. If you, you want to come to, to Scotland and get a real Scottish experience in a city, Glasgow's a place to be. Nice. What do you think of Inverness then It's as a much smaller city in Glasgow? Yeah, Inverness, I've been there a few times and stayed there. Like you said, it's a lot smaller and much more kind of country feel. Um, Inverness is a good place to base yourself to explore some of the local attractions there because you've got like the Standing Stones on one side, you've got the Culloden um, Battlefield. And then, you know, you're only one hour from some amazing scenery um, spots as well, whether you go north or whether you go south to the Aviemore area. Um, you can also explore some of the, the whiskey on the space side as well, really, really close by. And then also the Balmoral Estates, which is where the Queen and the Royal Family stay as well. People love to go there. Uh, and so Inverness is good for that. As a city, there's not a whole lot going on just because it's small, but it's a good place to base yourself. All right. Now I'm going to ask you some questions, um, like kind of Scots versus Americans yep. type questions. What is, what do you think one of the, what do you think is the biggest misconception that Americans have about Scots? I, I guess that we're all uh, interested and involved in the kind of clan culture, Highland culture. 
which is a really kind of nuanced thing and difficult to explain. But I think a lot of people in Scotland, because we live in the cities mostly nowadays, right? There's, there's five and a half million people in Scotland and most of us live in Glasgow and Edinburgh in the central belt. And we're not really connected to that Highland culture. Uh, this is something I talk about quite a lot when I'm here. Um, that Highland culture still exists around the edges, but not as it used to. And actually a lot of that culture moved away from Scotland and left and came to North America, right? It went to Canada, it came here to the States. And so I think a lot of people come to Scotland expecting to see a lot of that. And they might be surprised with the fact that you, you won't see as many kilts, for example, as you might imagine you would see. Yeah. Yeah. That was the biggest thing that I was kind of, uh, that I've noticed that people think is like, they just assume that you go to Scotland, you're going to see kilts everywhere. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah, you might see, you know, a few, you know, buskers on the mm. road, or you might see a couple in a, you know, a tourist hat shop or something like that, but you're not going to see many while you're there. Yeah. And also like to add to that, <clears throat> building out from that story, I think I got a lot of people from the States coming to me and, you know, especially on YouTube and other places commenting and they'll write to me in Gaelic. And <laughs> apart from Slangeva, <laughs> I couldn't understand another word, like not one word more of that, that language. Right. His language is very sp particular to parts of Scotland. And in fact, only very isolated communities actually speak it nowadays. And it's usually the older generations, which unfortunately are dying out right now. Um, now there is a movement to bring it back and you know, some schools are teaching it, but I would be willing to bet that, you know, 99% of the Scottish population um, you, that you would interact with in places like Edinburgh and Glasgow are not going to know a single word of Gaelic apart from Slangeva. Uh, and I'd also be willing to bet more people in the States, far more people speak it here than do in Scotland as well. So a lot of people will write to me in emails and in comments in Gaelic and I'm like, sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. Google Translate. Yeah. Copy, paste, sorted. Sorted. Exactly. Now, are some of the, are the signs uh, in, I, rem I remember traveling up to Inverness and I remember signs being in Gaelic as well as in English. Yeah. Um, is that just a Highland thing or is that all over? I forget. It's, it's all over now. Um, it, this is actually quite a recent thing. The government spent a bit of money and made sure that the language, they don't want the language to die, right? Now, ultimately it's up to people like myself and other young people in Scotland to make it not die, make sure it carries on. And the government have tried to encourage that by you know, making sure all the signs are in Gaelic as well, but they, they can't really do so much more. I mean, they, it's, it's in schools and all the rest of it. Um, but ultimately, there, there is a movement of younger people who are trying to learn, like through apps like Duolingo, for example. Um, but you will see signs, and even like police vans, for example, they'll have the Gaelic version and ambulances, and, and it's basically the same word. Yeah. But um, yeah, you will find it in all these places, but it's not because everyone speaks the language. It's because the government is trying to make an effort to show that they care, right. which is a good thing. I think that's a great thing. But ultimately, they can only take that so far. The rest is up to... The individuals. Individuals and younger people especially to actually think, I want to learn that language and I want to make it survive. So what are some of the, the biggest differences that you've noticed? There's a lot of similarities, obviously. What are some of the biggest differences you've noticed between Scots and Americans? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, we could get in really deep detail about this and we could speak about it for hours. And, you know, we, we've even had like pub conversations about this, right? Yeah. There's lots of things from government, politics and um, kind of con conceptions of freedom and, you know, how you see it against how we see it. Uh, I think there are differences there, and actually that's one of the reasons the United States Embassy put me on that program, is because they wanted to show British people some of the things that are different about culture, about government, about all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and so there is a lot of differences there. There are, right? Cultural differences. Even down to basic stuff like tipping, you know, that's something that's <laughs> it's very, very uniquely American. Like, there's very few other places I've went around the world where that is part of the culture. Um, 
and I, and I think those things, people, when they come to the States for the first time, they'll, they'll notice it. But ultimately, that is totally like a sideline to the similarities and how people from here are generally very positive and warm and friendly. I think once that side comes through and once you get to speak to people, you kind of forget about all those other things, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, yes, there's differences. There's differences in terms of political stuff. Um, but when you get to speak to people one-on-one, -on -one, you realize there's a lot more similarities and people here are just warm and friendly and you can, you can have a conversation with just about anyone about anything. And that's what I love. Yeah, the, uh, our conversation yesterday, talking about the, you know, if you turn off the news and actually start interacting with yeah. people that you have a little bit of difference with, as long as they're not, you know, hyper-focused on news as well, you find a lot more commonality than you do differences. And it's Absolutely. not as bad as people always think it is. Absolutely, it's not really as bad. And actually, almost every time that I've come here, this is kind of crazy, me saying this right now, I'm just thinking it out loud. Every time I've come here, you, you probably there's been something on the news about, you know, something bad that's happened, right? Any number of things you can imagine. And so for the week or two before I come here, I start feeling a little bit nervous about it. And also people will comment from the States about, do you feel safe about this? And, and it starts to build up. The minute I arrive here, that goes away. The minute I arrive here and start speaking to people, it goes away. Yeah, I, I noticed that. Some, some of the comments on one of your, on the Washington DC live, like, oh, you know, you gotta be careful down there. You shouldn't be there after dark. And then you're going to Philly. Oh, don't go to Philly. Yeah. It's very violent. And it was like, yeah. Really? I don't find it any more dangerous in any of these big cities here than anywhere else. A lot of people, whichever city I've been to in America, whether it's been on the West Coast in Los Angeles, whether it's been New York, whether it's been Texas, I've had people comment on that exact same thing. And it's never as bad. And I think it's often people who might live here who have never been to these places. Yes, and or do you think it's people who just are averse to city versus country living? Possibly, and I think it also works the other way around as well. Whenever I've been in a country, people will have misconceptions about that as well. Right. Um, probably a lot of that, I would imagine. But um, ultimately, I think because of that, because you're exposed to the news, you're exposed to the comments all the time, you do get nervous about coming here, right? That, that's a fact, and it's kind of sad, but that, that's a fact. But as soon as you arrive here, that goes away because it's not reality. That's what I've learned. That's one of the biggest things I've learned about here is despite all the things you see going on, all the news and you know, you could get into all the detail about that, but it's not as bad on the ground as it, as it seems from outside or yeah. from someone who just watches social media or the news. Yeah, I think it's pretty much every country as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you've been exposed through going to some of the Highland games and things like that and yeah. through, you know, being here <laughs> at the, in our building. Yeah. Um, you've been exposed to some Americans wearing kilts and you've obviously been exposed to Scottish people wearing kilts. Um, what are some of the differences that you've noticed or similarities? Mm -hmm. um, because we're always focused on, you know, the way that it's traditionally done or, you know, yeah. how it's usually done. And it's not always the case I've been noticing. Yeah. So what are some of the similarities and differences with the way that Americans wear kilts and express their heritage versus the way Scots do it? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And I think it's something that can be explored through multiple videos. <laughs> uh, you know, this is something I'm gonna try and bring out in my videos, but I think ultimately, now, I can't speak for everyone in Scotland because there will definitely be Scottish people who do not agree with me, 100%. <laughs> Scottish people are actually famous for disagreeing with each other throughout history, right? You ever hear the, the sorry, I'm yeah, interrupting. Um, uh, if you put two Scots in a room and you get three opinions, kind yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so I can't speak for everyone, but I know from, based on my experience of growing up in Scotland and all my friends and family, I consider that to be you know, quite a wide circle of all the people I've met in Scotland, is that certainly with like kilts and tartans and stuff, we don't take it too seriously. 
By, and by that I mean we're proud of it and we think it's great and it's a symbol of Scotland but we don't take it seriously like there are rules that you need to follow like for example I think there's far less people in Scotland who would really identify with their family tartan now there definitely are people who will get married and they will seek out their family tartan unless they think it looks rubbish which is sometimes is the case right there's a lot I think generally speaking people in Scotland if they don't have that kind of connection with clans and all that will tend to choose tartan based on something they like. It has to, has to look good, right? But it's far less about that kind of connection between families and clans and all the rest of it. And certainly with young people, even if they have a name which you could identify with a clan, I don't know, McDonald or something, for example. Um, I, and that is one of the big differences I feel with people in Scotland is that we are far more loose with that stuff. Here in the States, people take it very seriously in terms of I belong to this family and I am in this clan and I need to wear this tartan. And like people here are very regimented in that fact. And that's great as well. I think that's really cool that they can honor that kind of family tradition that's passed on through the centuries, right? People could probably have the same piece of cloth that they might have had for hundreds of years. That, that's amazing. Um, but it's, it's just not always the case in Scotland, certainly in my experience. Um, and we tend to only wear kilts for very special occasions as well. Either for if we're going to some kind of international event or some kind of big fancy thing where it would be appropriate or for weddings. And um, so casual kilt wearing is quite rare, I would say. That's a difference as well. Whereas I think here in the States, people can wear it casually um, to, to anything. I mean, we will wear it for like a rugby game, for example. Yeah. You, if you go to rugby, you'll see people wearing kilts. Don't get me wrong. But um, I think here people will wear it more and they'll be very connected with how it has always been done and how it should be done. Um, and, and I think one thing I want to get across with that is neither way is wrong. It's just different. And it's how the, the culture has evolved throughout the years, I guess. Yeah, it's the one thing I've noticed is um, Americans, I think, are so, they want so badly to not screw it up mm. or to do it the right way or to pay homage to their heritage yep. that they're too, that they are concerned, not too concerned, that they are concerned about, you know, doing something wrong. Whereas in Scotland, you've you've grown up with it. Yeah. It's just part of it's part of the background. It's part of the scenery. You're in it. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's just been it always been there. Yeah, exactly. It's always been in the background for us, and so it's almost like we can't mess it up because it's, it, we're Scottish, right? And, and I guess you're probably right. There's people here who think you know I need to make sure it's right. But and again, I can't speak for everyone. But when someone comes to Scotland and they're wearing a kilt, I, I feel proud of the fact if they're, if they're not from Scotland, they they have that interest or they have that culture that they want to preserve it and. And I wouldn't give, you know, even the smallest minute of um, thinking of the fact that it wasn't perfectly right in any way. It's not, it's just not something that comes into my mind. Um, just the fact that they're interested in it is good enough for me. Um, you will see people who will buy a towel in this form of a kilt and they'll go to Edinburgh and they'll like, wrap it around themselves and like, they'll go to the bars yeah. in Edinburgh. That's a different story. Um, that's just playing with it. Yeah. That's just messing around. That's like, um, and they'll have the Jimmy hats on and all the rest of it, but even those guys, they don't get any stick. Like, people realize they're just out for fun. Um, but and if people want to come to Scotland wearing a kilt, I think it's, it's fantastic. It, it shows us that people care, um, and, and I love it. Like, I have to stress this, I don't speak for everyone in Scotland, but my experience of people who I know uh, since growing up has is, is always been the case that we take pride in the fact that people are interested. But yeah, definitely the differences, I think, like, like you said, people here want to make sure they do it the right way, or they follow their family tradition. Um, I, what I'd like to say, to a lot of people who might have thought about wearing a kilt but might be worried because maybe they can't necessarily trace their family is 
there's so many beautiful tartans out there. And we're in the, the American Dream one, which I think is awesome. It's not connected to family, but it's still amazing and it's got an amazing story behind it. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's opportunities for everyone who wants to get involved. Yep. So thank you. Um, very kind of you to say. The, um, uh, so when you slash family slash friends are going to wear the, the kilt for the first time in Scotland, how do you learn what, what, what the nuances are? How do you know what to do? So, yeah, I guess my first memory of wearing a kilt would have been in primary school. The school system in, in Scotland is a little bit different from here. So primary school is like the kind of first school that you'll go into from ages like, uh, I think, five or six up until 12 or 13. Okay. So at the end of that period, um, you'll have like a, uh, I can't remember if they call it like a dance or like a, you know, yeah, end, end of school kind of prom thing, yeah. kind of thing, right? And you'll tend to have a Kelly during that event. And, and throughout the years before, they'll, they'll show you the Kelly dances so you learn how to do it. Uh, and then usually you'll be expected to wear a kilt at that event. So if you haven't been to a wedding before that, like a family member's wedding before that age, then that will be the first experience of wearing a kilt. Um, and usually it's up to you to go to like a kilt shop and, and discover how to do it. And that tends to be where it is. So yeah, I'd say the first two ways of a Scottish person wearing a kilt is either in that event and they'll, their family will take them to a kilt hire shop. Yeah. Right, or if it's younger than that, they've been to a wedding. They'll also go to a kilt hire shop. It, it, I think it's more rare for a kid, especially because they'll grow out of it, yeah. to have their own kilt bought for them. It's very rare. Hmm. So essentially, you're saying that you I'm putting words in your mouth. You believe that the hire shops are essentially driving the you know traditional high on wear, so to speak, and showing people how to do it. So how good, how good or bad? Are they at explaining that to people, do you think? Um, I think there's, there's probably good and bad ones. Um, the okay. ones I went to were probably pretty bad. I think it was basically like, they didn't teach anything. It was just like, put it on you, this is this is it. Like, you're done. Right. Like they, they, probably they didn't want to waste time, so like they just shoved it on, so this is how you do it, and and it's over and done. I think that's probably the way that they, they do it. Um, so I, I don't think I had great experiences at higher shops, um, but they are certainly the much more popular way of Scottish people to, to get a kilt because, um, use, like I said, people usually only buy them for one, a one-off special event, right? Right. And, and so people tend to prefer to do it that way. And also because if we have a wedding in Scotland, I'm not sure if people here are aware of this, but if you have a wedding in Scotland and the, the groom is wearing a tartan, for whatever reason, it could be family or it could be they just like it, it tends to be all the groomsmen will also wear the same tartan. So everybody looks the same up on, right. up on the, um, the altar, right? Um, for photogenic reasons. But all those people, they'll have to go and rent that, um, hire that kilt. Hmm. And so the, the hire businesses do quite well because they, they have a, you know, almost unlimited supply of weddings to do every year. Uh, and that tends to be kind of the first experience of people wearing a kilt. Now for your wedding, did you wear a kilt? I did, yes. And did you hire it or did you purchase I, it? I bought it just for sentimental reasons. So I still have that Fair. one. It doesn't fit me anymore, not by a long shot. I've put on probably... They, they shrink in the closet. Yeah, they shrink in the closet. Yes, That's absolutely. It, yeah. But it, it wasn't a particularly special kilt or anything. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a particularly well-made or even an expensive one. It was just one that I liked the tartan. It looked, it looked nice. Right. Um, and it wasn't anything to do with my family. I think it might have been like a, a Lindsay or something like that. Um, I can't remember exactly. But um, it wasn't any connection to me. I just liked the look of it. Um, that, and that's probably, like I said, that's probably the way that most Scottish people go about their kilt decisions. And the only reason I bought it rather than renting it is because sentimental reasons. You know, I got married yeah. in it and yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That makes sense. So how does it feel as a Scot, and I know you're not speaking for all Scots, more for yourself, but what do you think the broader sense is of countries and people outwith Scotland, so, you know, the diaspora, so it's Australia, mm-hmm. Germany, America, Canada. How do you think Scots feel about people outside of Scotland wearing the kilt? Yeah, so I, I would like to think most people are very accepting and very humbled by that, like I feel. I feel really great towards people who are wearing a kilt. Um, but I know just based on the fact that I've heard comments before from people I know and from comments you see on the internet that people are quite sometimes disparaging. And, and about There's about internet it. trolls? Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. No. They exist. Um, so you do see comments that are um, probably less than kind about people wearing a kilt from around the world. And that's really unfortunate because I do not feel that way. I would like to think the majority of people do not feel that way. And I'd also like to think the people who make any kind of negative comments do not own a cult themselves. And so they don't understand that culture. Yeah. And they're not a part of it. Uh, and so for them to make those comments, I feel is a form of un- being unsure about their own identity sometimes. Or maybe even the fact that they could be um, not really understanding about the historical significance of Scotland and where people went, right? Because like you said, people went everywhere. People went to Canada. People went to the, the, the States before it was the United States. People went to Australia um, and, and started communities and people held on to those traditions for years. Um, and I think a lot of people in Scotland don't necessarily understand that those communities of people continued their traditions for the generations. And it's been part of my learning process as well from coming here and understanding that. Yeah. Um, and I think probably that education is something that a lot of people in Scotland need to hear. The, uh, the one thing that I just kind of popped into my head, do you think it's a bit of potentially either feeling guilty or kind of projecting a specific guilt that, you know, and I may get in trouble for saying this, but if, for people in Scotland, like, you know, I don't wear a kilt, you shouldn't be allowed to wear one because you're not Scottish, even though I am not wearing one. Yeah, it could be a part of that. I think it's that. I think there's also people who will feel, uh, and this is something we say in Scotland quite a lot, we have the cringe the cringe to be involved with Scottishness. Right. And there's a lot of people in Scotland who have that. And, and part of it is, and I need to be very careful about how I word this, right? <laughs> um, so- We'll edit it out if you don't like it. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, but th- this is truth, right? There will be people who make fun of Scottish people in a, in a way, and usually this will come during like kind of sport games, like football, soccer, for huh. example. Um, especially, you know, it might even come from people south of the border in England, for example. Uh, I don't think it's always, um, designed to be nasty, you know, it's, sometimes it's just fun, right? It's a bit of banter, as we yeah. call it. But I think there's definitely people in Scotland that throughout the ages of hearing that, and they have something in the back of their mind that's like almost like a self-doubt, cr- self-cringe yeah. about this Scottish picture that people have outside of the world. And so the people who feel like that often don't really want to be associated with that kind of, uh, can tartan Jimmy. Image, yeah, cookie right? cutter, tartan tin, or tartan exactly. tin. Yeah. yeah, especially when, and this is when it gets really deep, all right? When we were in primary school, when I was in primary school, the Scottish accent, which is not an accent, it's actually Scots dialect, yeah, which yeah. is, for all intents and purposes, it's a language, language. Yep. was taught out of us at primary school in Scotland. We were told by parents, not through any fault of their own, just through them wanting us to be better in life, and we were taught by teachers that we should not speak like that. We should speak proper English. And so that, that kind of self-cringe is something that's deeply ingrained and is taught into us from a very early age. Hmm. 
Uh, certainly my generation in the 90s and 80s, we were taught that that was a bad way to speak. You will never progress in life. You'll never get a job if you speak like that. Now, there is a movement nowadays where people are trying to bring Scots right to the forefront, remembering Rabbi Burns and the way he spoke and the way he wrote, and make it a popular thing again. Because certainly when I was growing up in the 90s, it was something that we, it was looked down upon by a lot of people. And I think it goes back to this cringe, self-cringe that people have of this kind of Scottish image. And so I think when people see people from other places in the world with the kilt on come to Scotland, the people making those negative comments are often people thinking, oh, that's not the image I want to be associated with. It, it kind of it makes them feel that cringe feeling. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I like getting into the psychological bit of it. Yeah. Nice. And of course, I might be, I might be totally off of this. This is, this is based on my experiences <clears throat> and stuff that I've observed over the years. And, you know, when I'm talking about when we were young in school and teachers telling us not to speak like that, that's, that's real. That happened to me. Yeah. No, that makes sense, though. It does, it does make a lot of sense. So across your travels here, what is something that you have seen as an outsider that you think Americans should reflect on? Yeah, definitely. I think we've already touched on this slightly, but it's really important for me to reinforce this. People seem divided down the middle here. And I think it is true to certain respects, but I've seen time and time again on people from both sides of different debates, from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, that people are more similar than they realize in a lot of ways. And actually, people in a room on a one-to-one -one basis, and I've seen this happen, get along more and have a lot more in common than they would imagine. There's, th there's things that still divide them and still um, will make them have heated debates about, but there's, there's definitely a lot more in common that people have and are able to discuss in an amicable, enjoyable way. Uh, and like I said, I've seen this time and time again. People are more similar than they realize. I agree 100%. Mr. Sean, thank you very much for coming out. I appreciate you. You're going to stick around for a little bit? Yes, definitely. Maybe do the little, little thing or two with us? Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Very nice. Until next time, boys and girls. Slanja va. Slanja. Thanks for joining us. The intro music for Tartan Talk is Irish Coffee by Giorgio De Campo. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. If you like the show, it would really mean a lot to us if you left a rating since it helps new people find our show. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.